apostle Peter said that those who have a gift to speak, they should do it as if their words, King James says, are the very words of God. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Good morning, church. Last week, we started in this series called What the Bible Says About Prophecy. And if you did not get to hear the first part of that message series, that, that, that first message last week, you really, really need to hear it. You need to listen to it because it's fundamental in order to kind of understand the overarching picture of what the Bible says about prophecy. You need to, you need to get the whole picture, not just hear snippets. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to be missing some keys. So there's some things that you need to hear. And for some of us, we need to rehear. You know what I did this week? I took an hour of my week this week, and I went back and I listened to the, my own message and just said, all right, did I say anything heretical, you know? <laughs> did I say anything, did, you know? And so, but it was good because I even said some things that maybe I don't even think were in my notes. And I was like, oh yeah, that was, that was good. That was a good truth. Not patting me on the back, but that's the Holy Spirit doing that, speaking those things. And so you might need to hear it or rehear it and get some wisdom and understanding on this issue. And so what we're gonna do, let's put up that QR code right there. If you, uh, we're gonna leave that up on the screen just for a minute. You can get your phone out. You can scan that QR code. It'll take you directly to the, the link for that podcast from last week in case you missed it so you can uh, listen to it later. Uh, here at Seeds Church, we aim and endeavor to be a word and spirit church. And the reason for that is because we are intentionally building our lives on no other foundation, okay? I, I don't want to order my thoughts. I don't want to order my feelings uh, around anything or anyone or any philosophy or ideology that's not shaped by the Word of God and not led by the Spirit of God. And, and I'll say that those two things are in absolute, complete harmony and unity with one another, the Word and the Spirit, because we wouldn't even have the Word without the Spirit. It's the Spirit who breathed upon the authors who wrote these books that we compiled into this. And so the Word and the Spirit are in perfect harmony and unity with each other, and I'm not gonna build my, my life I'm not gonna steward my own soul on any other foundation. I'm not gonna build my family. We're not building this church on just what anyone says or does. I, I, I'm not, no matter if it seems good or if it seems bad, no matter uh, what, what it makes me feel like, no matter how I was raised, you know, some, sometimes we get stuck in the rut of, well, that's not what grandma said. Well, Grandma might need to read her Bible again. You know, I don't know. But um, <laughs> grandma's probably reading her Bible. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm not gonna build the, the foundation of my life or the family of this church, certainly not on this culture, because the culture's godless. And it's unholy. But what we're gonna do is we're always gonna come back to what does the word of God say? about any given issue. And when we come to the word, the Holy Spirit helps us know 
what God wants for us and from us. Amen? So once you stand up with me, and we're gonna honor the, the word of God, we're gonna honor the reading of the word. And today's reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. I'm gonna read a several verses here. Today, if you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and open up there to Romans 12. So you can just be familiar with your own, own Bible there. And if you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screen. But today, I'm going to read it to you, and you can just silently follow along. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another, of, of one of another. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you did not just sit us here on earth and that we have to just figure all of this out by ourselves. But you've given us the marvelous gift of your word. And you've, Jesus, you've, you breathed out onto the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And we've received the Holy Spirit, God, and you've made Holy Spirit baptism available to us. And you've made the gifts of the Spirit available to us. And you want to you want us to cultivate in our lives in, in cooperation with your spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And so we thank you that we're not gonna stay immature children, but we're gonna be grown up in your word and in the things of God because, Lord, we desire to love you well and serve you well. We desire to be uh, fit members in your kingdom. We don't wanna be those who are just always mooching off the kingdom. We wanna be serving in your kingdom. So help us, Lord, Look at these things and the, the gift of prophecy and these different things about prophecy, God, and help us, those of us who you are granting those gifts to, help us use them according to your word. And then, Lord, those of us who are in the room and we are benefiting from that gift of prophecy, help us have discernment to test and weigh what the Spirit is saying and have the discerning of spirits. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. So what we're doing here is we're looking at seven levels of prophetic gifting. Seven levels of prophetic gifting. And visually, uh, let, let's show that picture up there. Visually, it's kind of like 
a pyramid, but Joshua was um, more accurate in pointing out that it's like an emotep, right? So it's, you know, a oh, a ziggurat is what you said. Okay, emotep also is the Egyptian one, but anyway. So we're all right. <laughs> so you see down there at the bottom, this is where we started last week with general exhortation. And then we talked about word of knowledge. And that's where we only had time for those two last week. And, um, and again, if you did not hear that message, you need to go listen to it because those are just kind of uh, basic and foundational things, but there's things in there that you need to know because you need to know what God's word says about these things. You need to know this. I'll just say this about general exhortations. All of us can do that. All of us can prophesy to one another and encourage one another by general exhortation. The prophet Elijah could do it. The apostle Paul could do it. I can do it and you can do it. And sometimes, oftentimes, we do it and we don't even know. We're just being, being encouraging and the Holy Spirit's using us. You know, you don't get any necessarily any tingly sensation or, or goosebumps. You're just like, hey, man, I just feel like I need to, Kendra, I need to say this to you. And I, I'm like, okay, cool, I said it, and praise God. And, but what Kendra hears is a rhema word from God. And so I'm like, wow, that's wonderful. I just was like trying to be nice and friendly and just give a, give a brother some encouragement. But for him, he, he heard something that he needed in that moment. And so we're not gonna go into the rest of all of that today, but I just wanna encourage you, we can all, um, you know, give general exhortations. Praise the Lord. So then today, we're gonna look at prophetic warnings, and uh, then we're gonna work our way up. We're not gonna, again, get through all the rest of the remaining five of these things today, but we'll go as far as we can, and then we'll pick up not next week, because next week, Pastor Russell will be with us, but the following week, we'll pick up where we leave off. And so, all right, so if you've not already gotten out your Bibles, get out your Bibles, get out something to take notes with, whether that be pen and paper or whether it be a tablet or a phone or whatever. But um, again, we're gonna be referencing a lot of scripture today. I will give you the references, but they're not all going to be on the screen. So you might want to just write them down, jot them down. Prophetic warnings, this is where we, this is where we move up to now. Prophetic warnings often come in different ways, different forms, and I'll share with you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, and then we're going to go look in the scripture and see uh, what happened in Acts 20 and 21 with the Apostle Paul. So when I was thinking about examples of some prophetic warnings, I just, I was sitting at the kitchen counter, and I'm you know, thinking about this, and I said, Jamie, just brainstorm with me just for a second some real-life stories and examples that we know of of some prophetic warnings. And in just a couple of minutes, we thought of like seven different instances. And some of those instances were prophetic warnings that we felt like we had for other people, and some of the prophetic warnings were things that other people had for us. And so we don't have time to tell you all seven of those stories, but I do want to tell you one of them, and um, then I'll tell you another story that's not my story, and then we'll get into the Apostle Paul. There was a Saturday night, and I was reviewing my sermon notes for the next day, 
And as I'm reviewing my sermon notes, I felt like an unction from the, from the Holy Spirit. And I felt like I had a, a word of prophetic warning for somebody in the church. And so I didn't trust my memory to, you know, like, well, I'm gonna give that, person tomorrow, give that word to that person tomorrow at church. I didn't trust my memory to remember it or to remember exactly what it was that was said, so I typed it all out. I typed out exactly what I felt like and discerned what the, I think the Lord was saying, what the Holy Spirit was showing me. And then I even left some more margin or room for personal error because I thought, well, maybe, I'm pretty sure I know who this is for specifically, what family this is for, but it's possible I'm wrong. It's possible I could be wrong. So I decided that I was going to just give this prophetic warning to the entire church because maybe I was wrong just about the one person. Maybe it was for someone else or maybe it was for multiple people in the congregation. So I got up on Sunday morning and I read the word and, um, and I didn't call anybody's name out. <laughs> you know, I didn't say, you know, Joshua, this is the warning from the, Lord, from the Lord for you. You know, I didn't do that. I just said, hey, just like I told everybody just now. I said, hey, felt like I had this unction last night as I was preparing and I wrote this down. And I'll even share with you what I said. And um, this is just about the way that I said it. A spirit of offense has entered into your heart because of a relational door that you've been holding open in your life. God has tried to shut the door, but you've stuck your foot in the door to keep it from closing. Your intentions might even be good, but you're not being obedient to shut that door. And because that door is cracked open, a spirit of offense is having influence in your life and it's having an effect on you. And you are now carrying someone else's offense, but now it's bleeding over into other relationships in your life. If you don't repent and shut that door, it will have a serious effect on your marriage, your children, your friendships, your business, and your health. So repent to the Lord, and he will forgive you because he's awesome. And ask the Lord for help with getting your foot unstuck out of that relationship door. It might be difficult and awkward, but just be obedient. The Holy Spirit will help you. And then repent to anyone else that you've been holding offense towards and make things right with them. And you will receive a blessing from the Lord because reward always follows obedience. That was the word. And that's about how I gave it. I didn't want to add to it and I didn't want to take anything away from it. I just let the word stand for itself and let the church test it and weigh it. And I felt like I knew that that was a, for a particular family. Unfortunately, the husband and wife both weren't at church that day, but one of them was. And I know that they heard the word, but they didn't listen to the word. You know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. You know, oftentimes those words are interchangeable, but there's some nuance to them as well. You know, I often pray before a service, Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. 
What I really mean, though, is, Lord, let us listen to what the Spirit is saying. Because we can go throughout our day and hear all manner of sounds, right? We can hear large trucks pass by here on Highway 99. And if you're not zoned in to what I'm saying, that might be distracting for you. There's all kinds of things that we hear out in our daily lives, sounds. But when my family is talking to me, or when if I'm in a meeting with someone, I'm, I drown out those other sounds, and I hone in and I listen to what's being said. And that person heard the word, but they didn't listen to it. And they didn't shut the relational door. And I don't know everything, um, if, if all of the warning came to pass, but I do know for sure that three of the five things that, that were repercussions because they didn't shut that relational door, I do know that three of those five things have happened. The other two, I don't know. They could have happened. They might not have happened. I don't know. And as time has, has told, because that's what we do sometimes, is we sit with these things. And, you know, sometimes you just, with a warning, you might want to pay close attention and quick attention because that means I need to change course. But sometimes if we're just kind of discerning, ah, I'm not sure, well, time will tell. And time has told that that word was for that particular family, but also Tom has told that there were probably about seven other families that that word was for as well who didn't listen either. And um, you might think, be thinking to yourself, wow, J.D., that's really harsh. No. What would be harsh is if I didn't give the warning. That would, that's what harsh would be, right? It wasn't harsh, it was love. If your child was chasing a ball and about to run out into the street, what would you do? You would holler at them and get their attention and tell them to stop because you're angry with them? No, because you love them and you don't wanna see any harm to come to them. And so you've hollered at your kid and they stopped and you got their attention and they came to you, and then what would you do? You would, you would say, oh, sweetheart, come over here. I'm so glad you heard what I had to say, because if you didn't listen, you could have been seriously hurt or worse. I'm so glad that you listened, so thankful that you listened. You know what we're gonna do now? We're gonna get in the car and go get ice cream. <laughs> right? Because with obedience comes reward. See, one of the motives for prophetic warnings is not just for God to tell you that he's angry with you. It's because he loves you. And he wants to warn you because he knows what's best for you. That's one story. This other story belongs to Dr. R.T. Kendall. He said uh, in 1951, he was 16 years old. He was growing up in Ashland, Kentucky. He was at church one Sunday, and they had a guest minister there. And towards the end of the service, the guest minister 
said something to the effect like, someone here is getting their last call to be saved. And then he turned to the, the pastor of the church. He says, I'm not going to close the service. And then the pastor of the church said, I'm not closing the service either. <laughs> like they wanted to give space and room for someone to respond to that warning. And nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened. And so there was no benediction given. There was no prayer, closing prayer given. And so people just kind of slowly started to get up and filter out. And that was it. Well, the next day, RT comes home after working that afternoon, comes home and finds his mom crying. Mom, what's wrong? RT's mom said, did you hear about Patsy? No, I don't know what's going on. What, what happened? I haven't heard anything. Patsy was in a car accident coming home from school. And she's gone. And then RT's mother began to recall that in church the day before, Patsy was sitting close to her. And towards the end of that service, Patsy was sitting there mocking what was going on in that service. And RT has wondered, I mean, it, it shook him. It's like every time I go back home to Ashland, Kentucky, I think about that. He's never forgotten it. He's, you know, 80-something now. That happened when he was 16. And he says, what, was that prophetic word of warning, was, was that for the congregation? Was it for Patsy? Was it for me? He goes, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not God. But he says, that instance installed in him a keen sense of the fear of the Lord. Why do we get these things? Because God loves us. Now I'm gonna tell you about the prophetic warning that came to the Apostle Paul. You can go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts is written by Luke. And so Luke is traveling with Paul and he's recording everything that's happening here. And Paul had spent a lot of time on the road at this point. He was on his third missionary journey. And so for us, when we think about, oh yeah, third missionary trip, it's not like we have today where it's like, oh, I'm gonna buy a ticket to China and I'm gonna just make a short flight. You know, when I say short flight, you know, it's like you're in the, you know, it's 24 hours of travel. But you're there, you're halfway on the other side of the world, the complete other side of the world within 24 hours. And then you stay there a week or two and you do some ministry and you get back on a plane and you're back and you deal with some jet lag for a couple days. It's not like that. It's not like that. And so Paul is, has, has been on the road for years and he's wanting to come back to Jerusalem and he's wanting to get back in time for the Feast of Pentecost. 
And so, and he, he's not traveling alone. He's got some companions with him and they're traveling by ship in the Mediterranean. And Paul says, I don't wanna stop in Ephesus and we don't 100% know why, but we can logically gather that probably he didn't wanna stop in Ephesus because he knew that if he had stopped there, it was gonna take too much time and he it was gonna take extra days or even maybe extra weeks and it was gonna delay him in getting back to Jerusalem in the time that he wanted to get back there. So they, they uh, travel on and they stop at um, Miletus. And then Paul, they, they must have spent a few days there, but it wasn't gonna be as many days as they, if they had been in Ephesus. So he sends a message to the church leaders in Ephesus and he says, I want you to come down to Miletus and meet with me. So a messenger goes, the church leaders make the journey. It's about 50 miles from Ephesus to Miletus. And Paul has uh, this meeting with them and he tells them his plans to go to Jerusalem. And this is what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And if you don't have your, your Bible, this one is up on the screen. Paul said this, I am bound by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. So this is Paul saying, the Holy Spirit is the one who's told me that I need to have this burden of getting back to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know what awaits me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So the Spirit has burdened him with getting back to Jerusalem even though he knows suffering is ahead. And he says in verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Wow, I love that. What an example for us to follow. So after Paul's meeting with the, the church leaders from Ephesus, he travels on uh, he and all the, the company with him, they travel on to Tyre and they meet up with the believers there. And now we're in chapter 21 and in verse four, it says, these believers, the ones from Tyre, they prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. So Paul is getting prophetic warnings about what will happen if he continues on to Jerusalem. Okay, but he's got to deal with this tension. I feel like the Holy Spirit's called me there, but I have a, a, a feeling in my own spirit and heart, and I'm getting this, these prophetic warnings from other believers that I shouldn't go. So then Paul and the merry men, they make their way to Caesarea, and they meet a man there named Agabus. And Luke says this, Remember, Luke's been right there with Paul. He's recording it all. Luke said that Agabus had a prophetic gift. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 21, he came over, talking about Agabus. He came over and he took Paul's belt and he bound it around his own feet and his own hands. So Agabus takes Paul's belt and wraps it around his feet and his hands. And he says, the Holy Spirit declares so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And then Paul says, or excuse me, Luke says this, when we heard this, we, that would be Luke and the rest of Paul's traveling band, they 
begged, also the local believers, we all begged Paul to not go to Jerusalem. So what did Paul do with this? What did he do with these prophetic warnings? You gotta remember, this is the same Paul who wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, excuse me, the Thessalonians is who lived in Thessalonica. He, he writes to the, the believers in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, and he says, do not despise prophecies. And it appears as if Paul is despising these prophecies, but I don't think that he is. And, and this, is, this is what he says here in Acts 21, verse 13. He says, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we, again, this would have included Luke and the band of brothers, when we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So here we have Paul who feels compelled by the Holy Spirit and it's the same Spirit of God who Luke says inspired all of these people giving these prophetic warnings. So what happens? Paul indeed was mistreated in Jerusalem and imprisoned. So who was right? Was it Luke right and all the others who had prophesied? Were they right? that Paul shouldn't go on to Jerusalem, or was Paul right? I think a good case can be made that both were right. And that both Paul and those who prophesied were both hearing from God. And it seems as if God willed that Paul should go to Jerusalem and face suffering and then Go to Rome in chains. Well, I don't know, J.D., that doesn't fit within my theology box. Well, I'm just reading the scripture to you. There were these prophetic warnings, and Paul's like, I hear you, bro, but I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit, and I'm willing. I know, I know what's coming. The Holy Spirit's already told me. The prophetic warnings were correct. But Paul still went because he knew that it was worth whatever the cost, that the mission of the gospel that compelled him through many dangers, toils, and snares. It was worth it. And it was like all of these prophetic warnings, it was like they were waiters at a five-star restaurant and they were giving the market prices to Paul for the surf and turf plate he was about to order. <laughs> surf and turf at Outback's, Outback Steakhouse, you know, that might be like 40 bucks. You go to a five-star restaurant, you're getting into the hundreds. And it's like these guys are warning Paul, this is how much it's gonna cost if you order this. And Paul's like, I'm prepared to pay the bill. I'm prepared to, to pay whatever the cost is. He's like, don't worry. I've got this deep conviction in me that Jesus is the worthy lamb and that no matter what the price is, I'm willing to pay it because Jesus is worth it all. 
I wanna point out here that we can see some differences between New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy because in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, I mentioned just a moment ago, Paul says, do not despise prophecies. He goes on to say, but test everything and hold on to what is good. And when Paul was giving instruction to the church in Corinth about order in the worship gatherings, he said uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and then let the others weigh what is said. And so in the Old Testament, if a, prophet, if a prophet's message came and it was wrong, what did they do? They stoned him to death. But thank God it's not like that in the New Testament. <laughs> In the New Testament, we don't stone prophets to death anymore. Instead, we are told to not close our minds to prophecies. Do not despise prophecies, but be careful to test them. Are there reasons to despise prophecies? Yes. Because for a number of reasons. One, sometimes we don't like what we hear. We don't wanna hear what is being said. That's one reason. Another reason is because a lot of people get it wrong. And then you just go, isn't God's not in this. And then you start developing a hardened and cynical heart. You might even doctrinally believe that it's true and it's in the scripture and it, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's nowhere in the book where it says these things aren't good anymore. I, I believe that. But yet your heart is still calloused to it because of these reasons and because of the abuses that we've seen. Oftentimes, I'm, I don't wanna just pick on big you know, national or international ministries, and they're not all that way. Not all of them are like that, but you know, they're the ones that are high profile and we kinda get to see a lot easier and so it's easier to judge. But it's all throughout the body of Christ and we have to guard ourselves to not let a, a calloused heart grow in, in our heart against prophecy, but we're supposed to not despise them, but test these things and weigh them and have discernment. And, and, and time will tell. And I believe that's what Paul did when he heard these prophetic warnings. I believe he counted the cost. Prophetic warnings. Why does God give them to us? because you're just an ugly son of a gun. No, because he loves you. All right, let's go to the next one. We are not gonna get through any more today, but just this next one, prophetic preaching. Uh, earlier we read from Romans 12, and, and I'd like to read just a couple of those verses, two or three of those verses that were right in the middle of that passage. Romans chapter 12, verse four, it says, for if... Uh, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ, okay, we have different gifts in the body because we're different body members. You know, my finger doesn't do the same job that my nose does. Now, sometimes my finger comes to my nose and does a job, but anyway, <laughs> Where do these things come from? I don't know. 
But he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then the first thing he lists here is prophecy. If prophecy, then do it in proportion to your faith. So this is the first motivational gift that Paul refers to. And he said that, that if one's gift is prophecy, again, do it in proportion to your faith. That word translated proportion there is the same word that we get the word analogy. Okay? Now, now some, some interpret the word for prophecy here to mean preaching. And, and it certainly can include preaching. But, of course, we know that it's more than that. But, but, but why also? But why preaching? Because if one's exposition of Scripture is truly unfolding the Word of God, then it is prophetic. We, we think of prophecy as always of having something to do that's just in the future. And yes, often it is, but it's not limited to that. We said this last week, that, that the nature of prophecy is, is it looking at a situation and it's just seeing it the way that God sees it. It's like putting on God's glasses and seeing it through his lens, seeing something the way that God sees it. And, and, and you don't necessarily have to be referring to the future in order for it to be prophetic. Peter mentions a couple of gifts in what he says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So this is right in step, in harmony, in unity with what Paul's saying. And he says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So if God gave you a gift to use, if he's put a resource in your hand of some kind, use it. Don't be like the servant who buried their talent. Use it. And, and he says, whoever speaks, do it as one who speaks oracles of God. Meaning like, that's, that's heavy. That's weighty. That's like, we shouldn't take it lightly. If God has given you a prophetic gift or the gift of preaching, the gift of speaking, when you speak, as if like you're speaking something spiritual, spiritual truth of some kind, you shouldn't do it lightly. You shouldn't do it casually. You shouldn't do it carelessly. If you preach and teach, you do it with the weight as if you were speaking, if God were speaking through you. And, and if that's the case, therefore it would be prophetic because you're explaining something or you're saying something through God's lenses. You're saying something the way that God sees it. So, what does this mean? Well, it means at least two things. It could mean more things, but at least two things. Number one, stay in your anointing. Stay in your gifting. Don't try to add to, don't try to take from the flesh and add to the spirit. Don't try to add to what the, the Holy Spirit is doing and don't do less than what the Holy Spirit is saying to do also. Stay in your lane. And this would mean also that we need to be sound in theology. Or we could say in the analogy of faith. This, this means we compare Scripture with Scripture. If Romans chapter 12, verse 6 is demonstrated by a prophetic word in preaching, then our caution is that we must be sound in doctrine. Even if it, whether it's preaching or whether it's giving some other kind of prophetic word, it's got to be in line with Scripture. 
things must be coherent. They must be congruent. They must be consistent with the entirety of God's word. So, so praise God for people who have prophetic giftings and who are sound in theology. Amen? Praise God for that. Unfortunately, there's also people who do have prophetic giftings but are not sound in theology. And, and some of them don't know their Bibles. And it's a real head-scratcher. And you're like, I don't understand. If I was God, I wouldn't do it this way. But, but the Lord, we read last week, the Spirit gives the gifts as he wills. But now we have to do our job in partnership with the Holy Spirit and make sure that we're students of the word. Paul says to study, your, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. It means we got to know this. And I will say that no matter what your gifting is, if your gift is to serve or you have a gift of generosity and giving, if your gift is in leadership or if it's a prophetic gift or if it's a musical gift, we gotta know the word because we wanna use these gifts in accordance with it and not out of bounds of it, amen? And so it can be a head scratcher when someone's gifted but they have a poor understanding of the scriptures and, and people who have prophetic gifts they really do need to be careful about what they preach and teach. As we just read, the apostle Peter said that those who have a gift to speak, they should do it as if their words, King James says, are the very words of God. And this is what every pastor and preacher and speaker should be reminded of, that it matters. Sound doctrine, sound theology is important. And the gifts of the Spirit and the Word of God are in complete and total harmony and unity with one another. And the great thing is, is, is that when someone's preaching prophetically, it can make a sermon come alive. And, it, and I'm not talking about because of their personal charisma or their gifting or their skill. I'm talking about because it's like the breath of the Holy Spirit is breathed out onto those who are hearing the message. It's, again, like what we talked about last week, it's not about highlighting the messenger, it's the highlight of the message. And that's why I often pray, like I said, at the beginning of the message, Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we wanna listen to what your Spirit is saying. Prophetic preaching can also come in the form of a book, there are a lot, there's some books out there that are prophetic or they have some prophetic sentences or chapters in them. And, you know, a sentence or two placed in just the right spot uh, can really hit. And maybe it's for everyone who reads it or maybe it's just for just a certain amount of people that, that read it. But here's the thing regarding books. Critical feedback is a form of testing and weighing. And here's what I mean by that. I heard a story of one time of a publisher who had someone, an author, submit um, a manuscript and they refused any editing for their book because they're like, every word's from God. So you cannot edit a word in there. So you're saying that every word in your book equals this? Bless his heart. 
Listen, we all need feedback and criticism. The problem is, is that with a lot of people, when they ask for feedback or criticism, what they're really just asking for you is praise. So sometimes prophetic preaching might be short. Like I said, even in a book, maybe it's one or two sentences. In a sermon, it could be one or two sentences just in the right place, but it hits prophetically. And prophetic preaching can even be accidental, just like we, we were talking about with general exhortations. I cannot tell you how many times after a message that I've preached, someone comes up to me and is like, it's like, you, you had my number today, man. You were reading my mail. Did, did, did my wife tell you what was going on? Or did my husband tell you what was going on? Because you were just, it was like you were speaking right to me. And I'm like, no, I, I don't know. That's the Holy Spirit. So pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's saying. That's not me being clever. That's you're discerning something the Holy Spirit's telling you. How many of you have heard this? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, that's from Revelation 19.10. It's a pretty popular verse for those in prophetic ministry. What does that mean? Well, there's, a, there's some different ways to look at that and say, well, I think it means this or I think it means that. Truly, if you read it in context, you, it's easy to see that like all prophecy, it all points to Jesus. And he, Jesus is king, and he's worthy to be worshiped. Because in, in, the, in the Revelation 19, John hears a message from the angel, from an angel, and he's so overwhelmed by it that he begins to like bow before the angel. And the angel's like, no, do not get up and worship me, bro. I'm like, same as you. We're just messengers. It's about Jesus, and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's about Jesus. And, and so, again, um, what, what, what's another way to look at it? What is the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter one, verse one tells us. It is literally the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's literally the revelation of Jesus. And really, for that matter, so is all of this. Peter referred to the scriptures as prophecy. Second Peter chapter one, I do have this verse up there, verse 20. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. And this is virtually the same thing that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do is right. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When, when the apostle Paul, or excuse me, I'm sorry, when the apostle John is, is writing the revelation of Jesus... And he, and he writes down these words, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He, he's meaning that, that all true prophecy, it's all about Jesus and it comes from Jesus. Prophecy will mirror the person of Jesus and it will mirror the truth of Jesus. And a clue to what this means 
is, is, is for us to remember that the letters, that the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are the very words of Jesus who sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus, Jesus when he was here on earth, he spoke as a prophet. One example is that John chapter four, Jesus is sitting with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, and he prophesies that worship is gonna change, that you don't have to go to the holy mountain anymore, that we're gonna be able to worship in spirit and truth. But then you fast forward to Revelation, and now Jesus in, in his full, in his glory, John sees him, and he has eyes like flames of fire, and his feet are like polished bronze that have gone through the, the refiner's furnace. And his voice has the sound of like the, the, the roar and the rush of many waters. And in Revelation chapter two, Jesus knows everything about his church. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and this image of Jesus it should make us increase in the fear of the Lord. Wow, J.D., I've never, you know, really thought about Jesus, you know, in those terms before. I mean, I heard a song one time that used those as lyrics, but I didn't, I mean, uh, that, that's a little bit of a difference of the Jesus who just kind of kindly sat with the woman at the well. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus Unfortunately, we have a pseudo-Christian culture that wants to separate the Jesus from the Gospels from the Jesus of Revelation. He's the Jesus that addressed the seven churches, and he had some difficult things to say to them. And they're not different persons. I'll give you an example of what I mean. It's, it's something that we were probably most of us were all exposed to in this last week. Many of us saw a TV commercial this week. And the commercial said, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. He gets us all, all of us. And while that seems very nice, it does seem very nice, it's also incomplete. And therefore, it could lead our brains, our 21st century brains to think, our brains who've been trained to think this way by our culture, our brains that have been trained to have short attention spans, and our brains that, that neglect research and study, and our brains that have abandoned critical thinking, it could lead us to believe that the gospel is just, he gets us, period. That's it. There's nothing else. And now we can go back to watching our football game and feel good about ourselves and the rest of the world because he gets us. But that's not the full picture of Jesus. It's not the full picture of Christianity. It's quite possible that the he gets us folks are confused and without a doubt, it could be a confusing message and misleading for others if they don't dig down further than a commercial. But JD, 
God is love. And Jesus said, love your neighbor. And love is love. Yes, God is love. And he's holy. And Jesus did say, love your neighbor. And I agree with those two things. But that third thing doesn't make any logical sense. You can't just run around and describe a word by using that same word. A refrigerator is a refrigerator. (laughs) So what do you have to do if you wanna know what love is? You have to go to the author of love and you have to see who is this God? What is his character and his nature and his person? And that's when we begin to understand really what love is. So if we open the word of God to Romans 12, and in there in verse nine, it says, let love be genuine. Let love be real, in other words. So what does love do? Well, it it goes and tells us. It says that true love hates evil. It says, abhor evil, hate it, hate evil. And then it says, hold on to what is good. That's what real love does. That's what the real Jesus does. So if people accuse me, well, J.D., you're not being loving. I would have to say, no, that I am loving. I am loving because I hate what is evil and I cling to what is good. And that's what the author of love said that that's what love was. But if you love evil and you hate what is good, then you're not being loving because that's not love as described by the author of love. It's not true love, it's not Christian love. And this kind of messaging is aiding in the redefining of love. And the result is, the result of that redefining is is advancing ideologies of, of apathy, of demoralization, and it's an incomplete gospel. And so we could even say a false gospel. Listen, we must not forget the prophecies of Jesus. Even the ones that he issued here during his earthly ministry, some of them were hard and difficult. And John chapter six says that after the Jesus said these things, many left him and deserted him. Like disciples, people who said, we're on your team, Jesus. We're following you. We wanna do what you do. And many left him and deserted him. The testimony of Jesus will reflect love, the love and tenderness of the Father, but it won't only reflect the love and tenderness of the Father. It will also reflect his his justice, his righteousness, and his holiness. So I believe that a more powerful and truth-filled and a more effective message, more than he gets us, is that he saves us. He saves us. And can't every single one of us thank Jesus that he saves us? That is not an, ex- it's not an exclusive word. It's available to every human being on the planet. 
But Jesus says, you must take up your cross. Not, I get you, bro. He saved us from having to experience an eternity completely removed from any kind of presence of God. Did you know that every single person on this planet right now is in the the general presence of God? Even the worst of sinners on this planet right now is experiencing some kind of measure of grace and mercy of God right now. And there is a general presence that, that, that sustains the earth that has put this this big ball of earth in motion in outer space that that spins and rotates. And can you imagine even those who are unwilling to acknowledge any kind of presence of God being starkly, drastically just shocked and wrong that, oh my gosh, in eternity, there is zero presence of God. What kind of torment that must be? But he saves us and he adopts us into his family. And that is the best news for all of eternity. And it's available to every single human on the planet. Okay, so you may notice these are my closing argument here that that not all, but some who prophesy today, and this isn't just with today, but I'm sure it's over the ages, but we see it prevalent today. Not all, but some only give words of encouragement. And in some circles, there's a a lack of prophetic words that are solemn warnings. Why is that? Well, it could be for a number of reasons. It could be that some people have just been incorrectly taught. It could be that they have been, it's just been demonstrated incorrectly from them and they've learned that way by demonstration. Uh, That, you know, the Holy Spirit only gives words that makes us feel good. Well, that's not what, that's not the Holy Spirit of the Bible. And so it's possible that some of these people, they just haven't practiced and they haven't, um, they haven't practiced that area of hearing and discerning in their lives. It's not that they're doing it intentionally. They just, they don't know any better. They've not been shown the way. But there are also people that have prophetic giftings and some who pretend to have prophetic giftings. And they purposely only give words with the aim of making people feel good And it makes me think of what Paul wrote to Timothy. There's a time coming when people will no longer listen to sound doctrine, to wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They're gonna look for teachers that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And they'll reject the truth and they'll chase myths. So why would someone only give a nice flowery word and not give warnings? Well, for some, it's because they don't know any better, right? But for others, it's because their motive is not pure. Maybe it's because 
They just want to be liked or admired. Maybe it's something else that they're, they're gaining, some other kind of benefit like um, power and control, manipulation, monetary gain. Sexual activity. Like, J.D., where are you coming up with this stuff? Read the Bible. Like, 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter attaches false teachers and prophets, and he says in more than one occasion that these people do this because of their sexual favors that gain them. And we've seen it in our culture today from time to time, and it's gross. But this, this does not, like only giving nice flowery words, it doesn't mirror the image of Jesus, especially as he's revealed in the book of Revelation. The testimony of Jesus, therefore, means that, that the prophecy is not only true, but it's in accordance with the entire word of God, which is why at the top of our prophecy pyramid, what do we have? The Holy Scriptures. So, 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And the verse 21 says, abstain from every evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can someone thank God for his word and his spirit? Let's stand up. Lord, we do, we do thank you for your word and your spirit and we thank you for your scriptures where we see and we know how to wrestle with these things. Even Paul, Lord God, this example that we have of him going to Jerusalem and him getting these warnings. God, that, that Paul don't go because we see this happening. And Lord, Paul had this conviction in his heart that whatever may come to him, whatever dangers, toils, and snares came to him, that you were worth it. You were worth him giving his life to the mission of the gospel. God, I pray for that kind of conviction to fall on us, your people. And I pray also, God, that when you come and bring us prophetic warnings, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We would not just hear it, but we would listen to it. We wouldn't let it go in one ear and out the other, but we would pay attention and that we would wrestle with it and we would say, discern, is there an act of obedience that I now need to walk in that's attached to this warning? And we do it because God, you love us. You love us and you don't want us to run out in traffic and get hurt or worse. Lord, we thank you for prophetic preaching and we ask you to give us a spirit of discernment that we wouldn't just uh, hear every single thing and buy it hook, line, and sinker, God, but we would know how to, with the testimony of Jesus being the spirit of, spirit of prophecy, God, we'd know how to read the scripture according to scripture. We'd know how to weigh and test these things. We'd know how to hold on to what is good and not despise prophecies and abstain from every form of evil. And God, I thank you that when we do this, you're gonna do something great. You're gonna do something powerful through this church, Lord God. You're gonna do something powerful, these people, through these families that are represented here. God, you're, you're building your kingdom here on the earth. You're establishing your kingdom. God, we come into agreement with the testimony of Jesus that says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, use us to establish your kingdom.
Use us to do your will, to be executors of your will here on earth. Lord, I just pray for those that may be here today and they hear the true message of the gospel, not just that you get us, but that you save us. And Lord, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, if you're ministering to people here that need this, the, to be saved by Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would be like the hound of heaven, that you would not give up on them, that you would continue to chase them and go after them and that they would in turn respond and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I repent of my sin. I turn from that. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that God raised you from the dead and I wanna serve you all the days of my life. And I thank you for those who are making that decision even right now, Lord. And I pray that, I thank you that you're moving them from the kingdom of darkness and you're bringing them and adopting them into your kingdom and, and into your family. And you're doing it right now. And I give thanks for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our prayer team is gonna come forward now and we're gonna dismiss the service. Uh, I know if you're, if you're uh, staying for DNA, hang out, go get your kids, come back in here, hang out for just a minute. But if you need prayer for anything in your life, don't miss this opportunity. Don't be like Patsy. And, and I'm not saying that by the unction of the spirit right now. I'm just using that as an example. But don't waste a moment. Why? Why pass on an opportunity? Don't do it. All right. Lord, help us not to despise prophecies. Help us to test everything. Help us to hang on to what is good. And let us, God, abhor evil in the name of Jesus. The people of God said amen. Go in peace and empower to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.